This is the Accidental Safety Pro brought to you by Vivid Learning Systems and the Health and Safety Institute, episode number eight. My name is Jill James, Vivid's Chief Safety Officer, and today I'm joined by Cheryl, who is a safety specialist in the pipeline industry in Minnesota. Welcome to the podcast, Cheryl. Thank you. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. So um, our audience, um, we might want to disclose that you and I know each other and we've known each other for quite a while. Yes, we have. I don't remember exactly the year, but I bet we're creeping up on somewhere around close to 20 years, Cheryl. That would be accurate. <laughs> Cheryl and I were both uh, investigators with uh, with OSHA um, a very long time ago. And I started, I started a little while before Cheryl did. And actually, I made reference to you in episode number one as being a female colleague that I got to work with because there weren't very many of us. There were not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure through our conversation today, we'll get back to some of those uh, days when we were working together in OSHA. But, um, you know, we, we'd like to start this podcast every time with asking people that central question that we named the podcast for, the Accidental Safety Pro, um, and inviting people to share their story of how they got into this practice by some interesting means that uh, that didn't have to do with, you know, you when someone asked you when you were a little girl, what did you want to grow up to be? Um, I bet you never said safety professional. <laughs> no. And um, I'm going to share a story before I get started that... Um, when I was still with OSHA in our days back then, yeah, I was doing an inspection at a nursing home in northern Minnesota, and the director of the nursing home eventually asked me, so how did you become an OSHA inspector? Because, you know, obviously this wasn't your childhood dream. He <laughs> said, no child, when you ask what you want to be, says the devil. Oh, man. <laughs> what? Wow. <laughs> that was bold. <laughs> that was very bold. But... um. I actually started out pre-med, mm. and so I do have a biology degree, mm -hmm. and just getting tired of school towards the end of that, I had gotten engaged my senior year of college, and one thing that occurred when I was in that last year of school is my dad was involved in an industrial accident. Mm. Actually, it would have been earlier than that last year. Mm -hmm. um, he worked as a mechanic. And one day he was working on a large plow truck up on an H-frame hoist. Mm -hmm. And the truck was not loaded in the back, so it allowed the um, big wing blade on front to shift. Mm -hmm. And the truck came down, and actually my dad ended up between the bumper and the plow wow. of the vehicle miraculously. Mm. And it was one of those situations where if he hadn't moved quicker, he probably would have been um, cut right by, by the, the blade. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then if he had moved too quickly, he probably would have been hit by a portion of the vehicle. Mm. He sustained um, some damage to his knee and a broken wrist. And all it? of this. That's it. Wow. Going through that process, though, of workers' compensation, my father being off of work, having to go through physical therapy, um, his employer was phenomenal during this time. They worked with us. They um, checked on him regularly. But it made me start to think, okay, maybe I'm better off looking at prevention of this versus trying to deal with the aftermath. Mm -hmm. And eventually found out about the... Um, 
at the time it was a master's in industrial safety mm-hmm. through the University of Minnesota Duluth and ended up um, applying to that and getting into that program and mm-hmm. going through that and haven't looked back since. Um, mm-hmm. Very happy in the field I went in and hoping that I continue to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and I went to the we, we went through the same program at the University of Minnesota. Um, I was I was a few years ahead of you. Yep. Um, yeah, well, that's interesting. And interest good news to hear that your dad's employer um, treated him well through the workers compensation system. Um, it goes both ways for employees. It some absolutely emplo- does. <laughs> yeah, some employers are really great and others are not. And what a luck story for your dad. And interesting that this, I don't know if we'd call, classify it as a near miss, um, sort of changed your career trajectory. It definitely changed my career trajectory going through all of that. And I'll never forget my mom, the panic on her face. Um, I was not home when she received the phone call. Mm-hmm. Um and this was pre-cell phones, so we're definitely dating ourselves there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Landline days. Mm-hmm. Um, I got, I swung by the house and there was a note, your dad's in the hospital, come here. And I remember the dread from my mom as they were waiting for my dad to come out of surgery. Mm-hmm. And so my sister was there with my mother. Mm-hmm. My sister was there um, very quickly. And... My mother went into a panic that she said, I don't even know if the house is paid for. I don't know if the vehicles are paid for. I can't tell you where anything is. What am I going to do if he doesn't make it? She just Mm. was um, in a complete panic. And it's understanding that impact on that family as well. My mom was very adamant after that event because of her experience that everybody in the family needs to understand the finances. Everybody in the family needs to understand simple maintenance. Everybody in the family needs to understand where they where their picture is in life. And it was great advice. I'll say it is. Cheryl, it sounds from that, there's that's a pretty loaded story. Not only did it change your the impact on what you decided to pursue as a career, but based on what you describe your mom's experience to be with figuring out rapidly that she needed to come up to speed with understanding family finances and everything else you just laid out, um, raising, raising daughters, that must have changed your life just as, as a family. And so did your mom and dad after that um, decide that you know, you too were going to learn all you could about basic maintenance, like you said, and family finance, all of that? They have been huge advocates for just ensuring you're involved in everything and that you understand everything going on, because Mm -hmm. you just never know what life is going to throw at you. And you need right. to be prepared for anything. Boy, I couldn't agree with that more. That was a that those were very powerful life lessons early in your life. They were and served you well. So you so you went to uh, the University of Minnesota. You earned your master's degree in industrial safety. Where did you go from there? What was that first job? So the first job was an internship at Potlatch and Cloquet. <laughs> That, and for everybody listening, that is a paper mill. It is a paper mill. And um, it was a very, very interesting, interesting perspective. It gave me a dose of reality, number mm-hmm. one. In what sort, through, of, so what, what sort of reality? Well, you go through the master's program and some of the courses you take 
I remember a course that Bernie taught that was how to handle a safety meeting. Yeah, and when Cheryl says Bernie, that's one of our instructors from the from the program who also taught us how to read the OSHA regulations. <laughs> so he was teaching he was teaching you um, how to go through a safety meeting through a safety meeting how to handle that and um, it was very professional when we did it in class and everything and I go to this first safety meeting here I am what 22 years old yeah going into this paper mill with just a very colorful group of people and that first safety meeting I was I came out a little bit shell-shocked but it was so good for me to see that welcome to the real world Mm -hmm. and not everybody is polite and kind in those meetings (laughs) (laughs) so so you felt a little bit uh, a little bit blindsided by um let's call it boldness. (laughs) And I would venture to say too, at that age, I was still quite naive. Yeah. And it was a very, very good taste of reality and seeing a heavy industry. Mm -hmm. Um, The one day we were practicing for a drill and I was hanging up signs in the hallway and I had this gentleman come up to me and looks me over and he goes, I bet I've been here longer than you are old. (laughs) And I took one look at him. I said, yep, probably. And I just went right back to what I was working on. Yeah, there was a lot of that when we first started, right? Like, yeah. how could you how could you possibly be an authority on anything? You know, you're 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 barely out of high school. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Can yeah. you even drive a car? <laughs> uh-huh. Do you re- do you remember back to that safety meeting? And and you said it was it was shocking to you. Do you remember a specific comment or incident? Or were you were you like running the meeting too? Or how it, it obviously was impactful. I'm wondering what piece. They um, they just had me sit in it to observe. I think um, the two individuals working there uh, maybe knew I was mm-hmm. a little bit on the naive side. And mm-hmm. it was just um, people swearing at each other, uh, mm-hmm. just a, a bit of an argument or anything. And it, it wasn't anything negative. It was just how different people get their messaging across. Right, right. Yeah. Well, the paper mill industry is is pretty harsh and or it can be and intense from a safety perspective. You know, what did you what did you feel you came away from that job with by way of skill development, whether it was with people or machinery? Um, I'm guessing it was a good a good learning ground for you. It was an excellent learning ground. And what I primarily pulled out of that is gaining some self-confidence, comfortable standing up for you know, what we needed to, and a pretty good understanding of machine guarding, confined space entry and lockout tagouts. Yeah, so right. Those are the big ones in that it industry. It was excellent exposure before going into my first job. Yeah. Yeah. Also oh, was Potlatch, um, that was an internship? It was an internship. Yep. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Well, self-confidence, you mentioned that. And I think that, you know, many young people starting out in their careers, um, particularly um, females, I know I get asked the question a lot, you know, when you're really young and starting out in this career and people, you know, maybe don't respect your opinion or your knowledge base based on your age or your um, gender. How what, You said you gained confidence. What do you think it took? Was it just like a sink or swim thing or did you have a coach or a mentor? who, you know, recommended certain things or how did you do that? I think for me, it was just getting that exposure. 
getting mm-hmm. exposed to different things and handling it with emotional intelligence, getting that criticism um, yeah. and recognizing that those individuals do have something to offer. They know this job better than I could ever do it. They understand mm-hmm. how this equipment works and I don't. So I think it was more getting to the point of recognizing a mutual respect for each other. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So you finished your internship at Potlatch and you need to pursue that first job. Where did you land next? I ended up doing consulting for a year for a company called IEA, whose main focus was school districts. Okay. Another really great place to see a lot of different types of hazards, though that might sound funny to anybody listening, but school districts really do have a little bit of everything. They do because there's shops, there's chemicals. And I have to tell you, those science teachers love to accumulate chemicals they shouldn't keep. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I've seen those (laughs) collections. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Part of my job actually was once a year to go through and clean out the schools I worked for to clean out their science labs. And I was constantly disposing of stuff that we didn't know what it was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. And so you had to learn a little bit about hazardous waste uh, management as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you were there about a year. About a year. Yeah. And actually fun job. Enjoyed it. Loved the clients I worked with. A great exposure there was for the first time I was introduced to having the ability to deliver training. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so did you, did you develop your own training and deliver it or how did that work in that job? It was a combination of some presentations were already developed and some of them were custom made for those clients. Okay. And you, and you did some of that customization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what did, did you decide, like, I like this training thing, you know, you're still pretty young in your career. Did it, um, were you nervous to get in front of groups or how did that work for you? I was nervous. Um, I was definitely the quiet nerdy kid in school. <laughs> so I was definitely nervous about it. And my first couple of times went really, really well. And I started enjoying it. Mm-hmm. I started um, liking to have that interaction. The one thing I've always had a difficult time with is to be comfortable doing training. I feel like I really need to know the material. So yeah. it would have been helpful to have um, probably some more expertise in developing some of the presentations I did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I mean, there definitely is an art and a science um, to instruction and training and assuring knowledge transfer is occurring. And those are things that we didn't necessarily get taught in graduate school. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Right. So we sort of hone those skills and figure it out, hit and miss um, over our careers. So how did you know when it was time to move on? Um, My husband helped me along with that. The job I was in definitely didn't pay very much. And he found an opening for OSHA and actually um, very much pushed me to turn in an application and resume. So I did. Mm -hmm. Got the call, went through the interview, had to take the written test and um, was hired shortly thereafter. You know, I forgot that we had to take a written test when we applied for those OSHA jobs. I totally forgot about that. Mm -hmm. I specifically, now that you said written test, I've immediately transported myself in my memory to a conference room and where I was sitting and what I was wearing when I took that test and thinking, oh my gosh, I hope I can do this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
I totally forgot we did that. <laughs> so what was the interview process like um, for, for you with OSHA? I am trying to think if I think there were three people on that interview panel and um, it actually felt a bit brutal. <laughs> uh-huh. If I remember right. Sa- same for me. Same for me. Yeah. When I got out of there, I just was exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I remember, um, three guys, three men sitting across from me, two of whom would become my supervisors at different points in my career there. And, you know, they were, their, their primary concern was, you know, how are you going to be able to, um, not get eaten alive by, uh, by employers? I think that was the focus of mine too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They were, they were, they were really curious about that with us. <laughs> I remember how I responded. Do you remember how you responded to when they asked you those kind of questions? Like, how are you going to do this without, you know, melting? I, I probably mentioned something like, um, when I'm upset, you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Actually, I do know that about you. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. So how many years were, were you with OSHA, Cheryl? I don't remember. Almost 10 years. Okay. So I was, a, I was just a little over 10. You were a little under 10. Great. Yep. Yeah. And so when podcast number one is where I'm um, sharing my story about my accidental getting into the safety profession. And I specifically mention you and I specifically mention um, the fact that there weren't very many women uh, working at OSHA at the time. Mm-hmm. And in you and I were assigned to uh, locations out of the metropolitan area into rural locations of Minnesota. And in those particular um, geographic offices, there were even less women. And so we, like you were one and, you know, there was a, there were a couple others. And so um, my colleague and friend Barrett, who's interviewing me is like, how many women did you work with? And I could, you know, basically I could remember you and maybe one other person because I wasn't relating it to the fact that there were other women in our metropolitan office because we just didn't get to work together um, very, very often. And um, yeah, do you remember, do you remember that time? And and do you remember if you had female mentors um, with OSHA, maybe a different recollection than I have? You know, I really, there really was not a lot of female mentorship at the time. There were a couple mm-hmm. um, that had been there for a while, mm-hmm. um, but the um, I'm thinking of Deb and Nancy. Yeah, right, right. So one was our administrative assistant, and oh, are you think both of them were? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, exactly. Both were our administrative assistants, and both were super powerful in their jobs processing our reports at that time, which were all on paper. And you re- you reported to an office where Deb worked, and I reported to an office where Nancy worked. And uh, I remember N- Nancy um, when I was I was just married, and I was hosting my first Thanksgiving, and. And I wanted to try to make a turkey and I had never baked a turkey before. And <laughs> she, <laughs> she sent me, you know, I'd, you, we, we would get mail every week from our office that we're reporting to, uh, from out of. And, uh, Nancy had mailed me one of those turkey bags, you know, those little baking bags that you put the bird in. And um, she mailed me the little bag with handwritten instructions on how to bake a turkey. And I still have those handwritten instructions from her to this day. It's how I've always made turkeys. (laughs) And, And so mentorship happened on lots of different fronts, including how to deliver your first Thanksgiving turkey. 
Yeah. You know, I think um, what I remember about you and I, uh, one of the things I remember about you and I working together, and we didn't get to do inspections together very often. And I remember when you were being onboarded, you and I spent some time in the field together and I became like your mentor, which to me was like this huge responsibility. I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to teach anything? I'm still young myself, you know, and it felt like a big onus on me. But the unique experience that you and I shared together was we both got pregnant around the same time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> with our with our with our first children. Mm-hmm. And you and I were both reporting to the same director at that time. We were Paul? Do you rem- yeah, do you remember his response when we told him we were pregnant? Oh, I'm trying to recall. I so Paul has passed away several years ago and mm-hmm. I still, um, I still look up to him. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Me too. But what did he say to you? (laughs) He freaked out. He freaked out because he had never managed anyone who'd been pregnant before. (laughs) I do recall that nobody knew what to do with us. (laughs) Yeah, they they didn't know what to do with us. And then, and then you called me one day and said, I'm pregnant too. And I'm like, oh, thank God, we're going to be able to do this together. (laughs) And, and I think that we kind of figured out through the HR department, like, it's going to be okay, Paul. This is how we're going to do this. So, um, you and I were partners in pregnancy. Absolutely. uh, and being employed and uh and and we successfully got through that but do do you remember as an investigator being in situations in inspection settings when you were pregnant where it just kind of turned up your own alert button for your own personal safety do you remember that when you were pregnant I you, definitely yeah. remember that yeah do you remember um, anything specific I remember one very specifically. Um, it was a operation that made the plastic components for cabs for um, skid steers mm-hmm. and lots of styrene exposure. And I actually ended up making a referral to industrial hygiene mm-hmm. and having them kind of go in before mm-hmm. I went back. Because I got a denial of entry the first time. So what I did is I made the referral and had them kind of take care of everything. And then I went back in. Yeah, and make sure they make sure you weren't being overexposed to mm-hmm. styrene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember doing a lot of research on how to make sure I was protecting that baby and what mm-hmm. I should be doing and avoiding. And it definitely changed my perspective on how I view the topic And I do recall doing a couple complaints over Mm -hmm. the 10-year period where pregnant women had filed a complaint um, based on what do I do because the occupational exposure is okay, but what I'm looking up, it says that's not a safe exposure level for a developing fetus. Yeah. And I could definitely empathize with those women and understand exactly where they were coming from. And it was difficult sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah, ex- exactly the same. It changed it changed my view as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And probably some of the first times I heard of teratogens, you know, yes. and really it, re- it resonated with me then um, as to what that meant. But yeah, I remember um, carbon monoxide overexposure. You know, we always had to wear our carbon monoxide monitors when we were doing our inspections. And I remember mine going off at one point when I was doing an inspection um, while I was pregnant. And I was really scared. You know, I... I was very nervous about getting not only myself out of that situation really fast, but also all the employees too and clearing that area mm-hmm. before anybody went back in. And same thing with a, I was in a, um, a poultry barn 
a chicken barn. And, um, oh, Cheryl, help me out. What's the name of the byproduct of the manure um, that we're Methane. concerned about? Methane, thank you. And, you know, it takes your breath away, particularly if it, you know, has really high property warnings. And um, I immediately wanted to know if I was overexposed or not. And you kind of get that panic because that's, you know, that's what it's intended to do. You know, you respond to it physically. And uh, it was it was below the threshold limit, but I was really nervous about that. <laughs> and same with noise. I remember noise was a big deal, too. Yes. Yes. Because we would go into some very, very loud, loud yeah. workplaces. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Thank you for walking through that together. <laughs> Thank you to you. <laughs> and and we and we learned a lot and now we have teenagers who are teaching us all kinds of new things. Uh, yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> apparently we didn't damage them in utero, so <laughs> they're they're they've they've lived to challenge us as teens. <laughs> I was gonna say the last couple of weeks I've I've had some moments where I thought, well maybe there was damage in utero. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, teenagers, it's a ride. It's a ride. So it is. So 10 years, just about 10 years at OSHA. When did you know it was time to move on and where did you go next? Again, um, my husband <laughs> pushed me. <laughs> um, it. Everybody at the state would tell me that 10 years is the jump off point. If you don't jump off at 10 years, you're never going to go. Yeah, you'll stay in government forever. Okay. Yeah, because mm -hmm. they said mm -hmm. the vacation gets to be where nobody will match it and things like that. So, That's true. Um, mm -hmm. I was kind of getting to the point that um, my last three years I was in the consultation unit mm -hmm. and I could almost pre-write a report before I even went out to the site. I knew exactly what I was going to find with what contractors Mm -hmm. and maybe started to feel like it might be time to go. And then again, my husband pointed out, oh, there's this opportunity at this pipeline company. Hmm. You should apply for it. Well, he's kind of your job coach, huh? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and nice. he also <laughs> prefaced, and it pays better. <laughs> Upward mobility by spousal pressure. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Because um, I actually found my work at OSHA to be quite rewarding. Mm -hmm. And I will definitely say this to anybody um, starting out in the safety profession. What an incredible training ground. Yeah. You will not get better training than what you will see working for the OSHA program. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. It just gives you so much exposure to so many types of employment settings. It does. And good access to training programs at the OSHA Training Institute. We had some incredible mentors that had been in, you know, doing it for 20 plus years, 30 years. We sure did. That mm -hmm. provided us such good direction. Mm -hmm. um, just it was an incredible opportunity. Mm -hmm. It really, it really was. Yep. And I feel like it definitely prepared me for going into my current challenge of pipeline industry. Yeah, there, what's that like? There are definitely some unique challenges to the pipeline industry. And mm -hmm. um, one thing that I do have to say about my current employer is uh, safety is definitely a number one priority. And um, watching this path they've gone on over the last 10 years, the incredible things that they've implemented and improved on. I would say when I started, it was it, it definitely needed some work, but the mm -hmm. journey's been incredible and the stuff that they've implemented and developed over the years. It's been a 
a true joy to watch all these improvements. And you got to be on the on the tip of that spear, it sounds like, Cheryl. Yes. Yeah. So what's what's a big win? Like what was something that you're really proud of that you've that you've been able to accomplish there? So for me, um, that relationship building mm-hmm. with the individuals that work out on the pipeline itself, I think has been my biggest accomplishment. I I truly care for these individuals that are out there. Mm-hmm. They're incredible, phenomenal people and wanting to support them by um, my my new goal is writing a program that definitely meets regulatory protects individuals but is realistic out in the field and that they can understand and that they can implement and that mm-hmm. it's feasible and reasonable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's it I mean that's nirvana and safety mm-hmm. that's it yeah so you're working on that now and have you succeeded in some of some areas with that? We'll find out. I just revamped our <laughs> confined space program. Okay. And um, we're taking bets as to, um, I think I'm going to set a record for the most amount of comments ever received on a program. So. <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> I look at it as a positive because to me, that means you actually read what I wrote. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Good point. So pipeline industry, this is, I mean, pipeline industry is a, is a big industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and do you cover both um, general industry laws and construction in your current role? I do cover both, but my primary focus is on general industry. Okay. Okay. And since, and since the company you work for is rather large, is there a, like a specific geographic region that you're responsible for in your, your role or number of employees or how does that, how does that work out? I am assigned to be a specialist for the U S. Um, so I have a very large geographical area. Um, right now my focus is on 12 states. Wow. And several thousand employees. Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact number. I should probably figure that out one day. But my focus is mostly within those 12 states in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so are you traveling as well? I do travel for my occupation. However, mm-hmm. um, it used to be excessive, mm-hmm. but it's it's slowed down over the years as my role has become more specialized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does that specialization look like? What are you specialized in right now? So what they have me performing is I do, number one, high-level incident investigation. Okay. We have a program where for every incident that occurs, you have to look at what the actual impact was as well as the potential. Mm. And I get involved in high potential or high actual impact events and Mm -hmm. will serve as the lead investigator. Mm-hmm. Or I will assist as a root cause analysis expert mm-hmm. for those areas to help us really dig deep into that. Yeah. So does that usually involve a team? It does involve a team. Yeah. So how many of you are on that? And are you the only safety person or is there more than more than one on a team? It varies depending on the incident. I just completed sure. a, um, a high potential incident with just one other safety person. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. this uh, last week. Yeah. But typically it involves a team of about three to five. Mm-hmm. And usually it's just one safety person. Sure, sure. So professionally, that sounds really interesting. Is, is it is it a fun challenge for you? And you know, when, when we say fun and safety, and you're talking about high potential incidents, um, that's not to disrespect that something potentially terrible could have or did happen. Um, but also as practitioners in this field, um, these are 
these are interesting, um, interesting times for us to be able to work, to do our jobs too, right? Absolutely. And I can give a great example of that. Um, not last winter, the winter before, we managed to put a skid steer through the ice on our right away. We were in a swamp and um, ended up that there was just like a, a small pothole that was 12 feet deep. And the um, operator uh, felt the back end of the piece of equipment go down, hmm. realize that there's a situation there, exit at the vehicle, let them know that, hey, I think the piece might go through the ice. We need to deal with this. And they tried to rig it and get it out, but um, their attempts failed and it ended up going through the ice. So mm -hmm. this was looked at as a fatality potential incident. Yeah, sure. And so therefore that got me involved in the investigation. And my comment, because the contractor that we were dealing with, upper management, was I look at those type of incidents as this is the perfect opportunity for us to really take a good look at ourselves without any consequence. That um, so, what did this cost? It cost uh, several hours of lost time. It actually didn't damage the equipment. It didn't oh, release wow. anything into the water. Mm -hmm. um, they were able to tow it out, clean off the equipment. It didn't even dent it. It was just because it landed in muck. And mm -hmm. um, I look at that as what an incredible opportunity for us as a company to really, really look at how we're doing things and make genuine improvements with very, very low consequence involved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There won't be lawsuits from this. There isn't anything to fix. There's no damaged equipment. Nobody mm -hmm. got hurt. Mm -hmm. Yet we were able to identify um, problems in communication, consistent flagging procedures. Mm -hmm. um, we were able to identify how do you transfer tribal knowledge issues, um, mm -hmm. just all sorts of things. How do you manage change? Mm -hmm. That was a huge one on this and that operators had changed and the communication didn't get there. How do you manage change? And it ended up being a truly incredible experience and identifying some pretty major flaws yeah. without having anybody hurt, injured or anything damaged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What a what a great opportunity. And it sounds like a, a, a win, a win on your side. And, you know, I think I'm curious to know from the 10 years you've been in the pipeline industry now and where it was and where it is now, you know, when it comes to incident investigation, sometimes that's something that you don't get a chance to do because you have so many fires every day of, of things that with, with really great impact that have happened. And so you're doing accident investigations, not incident investigations, or, you know, you, you're just trying to get to um, compliance in some area and you don't get to have this opportunity that you're, you're having with investigating incidents to be able to be um, more prescriptive on how you can prevent things in the future. I, I'm guessing you didn't start out that way when you, when you started your your job in in uh, in the pipeline industry, how long did that evolution take where they were actually able to start looking at incidents versus reacting to things? Well, we definitely still have days where we're just of reacting course. to things. Yeah. Um, uh, it's it, that's the reality of our job. <laughs> yeah. We're actually working currently with an individual. His name is um, Dr. Matt Holloway mm -hmm. out of the University of Colorado Boulder. Um, okay. Several companies have come together to help finance his research, and he's doing a lot of research around that um, SIF potential, serious injury fatality potential, and how we're trying to um, focus resources on that. They say that's around a 21% of all your incidents. Mm-hmm. 
And the company's vision moving forward has definitely been that if something falls into that SIF potential range, we have to focus a good amount of resources on this and get to the bottom of this. Mm -hmm. So we've had a, um, a shift, which I think has been much, um, much to the good of the company and mm -hmm. that um, things like deer strikes. Mm -hmm. They used to do full investigations on them. And mm -hmm. we're starting to streamline those investigations a little more. Instead of spending all this time that a deer ran into the side of the truck, mm -hmm. we, we've already identified any potential for how to improve this implemented defensive driving programs, implemented um, awareness campaigns, all of those things. Mm -hmm. That we're not going to get much more value out of spending a lot of time and resources on this. Let's spend our time and resources on these things that carry that SIF potential, mm -hmm. that high potential to have caused injury, whether or not it damaged things, and do a really good job investigating these. And um, we're also working with Dr. Holloway on um, a new way of identifying hazards and an energy wheel concept. Mm -hmm. okay. And I, I see very, um, very huge wins coming out of this. So with the science, with your partnership with, um, with Dr. Holloway, and that sounds fascinating and kudos to your company for being on the forefront of, of that kind of work and effort are with, with the science, are you able to come up with some actual ROI, um, to go along with those things to help propel change when you need to use it as a leverage point? That is a great question because sometimes, um, supporting that return of investment is very difficult to do. Yeah. And, and safety, it's near, it's like, it's very hard, if not impossible. So I'm, that's why I'm asking the question. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. we yeah. asked um, Dr. Holloway that question in one of our training sessions when he was doing train the trainer sessions. We said, so will we see evidence this is going to reduce our injuries? And mm -hmm. he said, no. And oh, I okay. remember just being taken back like, what? <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. And his comment was, and it, it's it's very accurate. No, because everybody perceives risk differently and I can't control how that person receive, perceives risk and chooses to move forward with their activity. Hmm. My okay. job, he said, is to improve hazard identification, but it's up to that person to make the right decision on how to manage that hazard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely um, a struggle we're, we're still working on is... Um, everybody has a different tolerance level for risk. Right, right. That's, that's very, that's very true. And have you have you trained people enough? Have you given them enough context so that when no one is looking, they're making yeah. the choice that you want that you hope and want them to make? Well, I think of um, when my son, MJ, uh, we recently purchased him a vehicle, but when we were going through the process of purchasing a vehicle for him. He presented to me um, the one day he's like, Mom, I love this car. Can I please have this car? It was a red Toyota Celica GT Turbo. <laughs> and <laughs> I already know the answer to this. No. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, because somebody's perception of risk is different than his mother's. His mother's right. perception of risk is you're getting a Volvo. <laughs> uh <-huh>. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, my son's perception of risk is, no, 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 this is good. This is good. Get me a fast, you know, little two-door sports car, mom. Come on. Mm -hmm. What's the mm -hmm. what's the issue here? I don't understand. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. why you don't think this is the perfect card. It's in the price range. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, point taken. You use Dr. Holloway's words, um, and I'm guessing you did not get that car. You did not get that vehicle, no. <laughs> <laughs> I would have made the same choice. <laughs> oh, so you had you had mentioned earlier that um, you you work uh, responsible for twelve states right now. What have you found? Um, has there been differences in how you approach people in different parts of the country or region? Um, do you do you change up the way you interact with people, or what have you what have you learned about that? Um, I would say I do definitely um, change up uh, not a lot, a little bit of how I interact. Um, definitely. A, a mix of different backgrounds, experiences that I deal with, um, cultural, um, lots of differences there. So, for example, the Southern hospitality when I go down to Oklahoma, mm-hmm. um, getting called ma'am, that to them that's being respectful. And up here, when I get called ma'am in Minnesota, I just go, <laughs> it makes you feel old. Mm-hmm. It does. But down uh-huh. there, I understand that's them being extremely respectful for me. And mm-hmm. um, so trying to, um, it's all about trying to understand and try to see from that other person's perspective. Yeah. And what's important to them. Yeah, putting and yourself in their shoes. Yes, absolutely. And I have to say, everybody I've worked with, for the most part, has been very respectful, very cooperative. And when they do disagree, they've handled it in a very professional manner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cheryl, when you were talking earlier about the incident investigations and talking about different safety people that might be on the team with you, what does what does the safety structure look like in your company now? Because it sounds like you're you're not a solo operator, which is also something rare in our in our professional practice. So, what is what is the what does the safety department look like, or how's it made up? Okay, we have a very large safety department. It's over well over 100 people. Wow. <clears throat> mhm. We have individuals that are designated just to do training, individuals designated to work on our um, integrated management system, individuals dedicated to um, improving safety culture. And in the US, we are a smaller group. And mm-hmm. we are divided up into regions, and each region has two to three individuals that work on the day-to-day items in there, and they wow. report up to a supervisor, and then that supervisor reports up to the manager. We have an industrial hygienist in our group in the U.S., and then I'm in this very unique oddball role of this um, sole specialist in the U.S. for our operating unit. Yeah, sure. And and so department-wise, you're obviously a safety department. You said you report up from there. Um, what sort of, is it an operations department that you report up to, or what is that? I'm in our operations division. Okay. We also have a projects division. So okay. I reside okay. in operations, which means that my responsibility and accountability is for the day-to-day operation of the pipe itself. Mm-hmm. And I don't get involved in the building of pipe. I don't get involved in um, um, upgrades, anything like that. I'm strictly involved in the day-to-day, how the pipe operates and how to protect not only the individuals working on it, but the public as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. So everyone listening who is a solo operator who gets to hear that there's someone with a 100-person safety department and regional people that are your cohorts just got really jealous. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I don't mean... (laughs) And the the other thing they're probably thinking is, I bet they have a budget and I don't. (laughs) We do have a budget as well. Yeah. Um, And for those individuals, um, you know, everything we do adds value. So it's just making that prioritization. Yeah, you, you wow. can only do what you can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you you have you have people, you have a budget. Um, when you need to make a request, um, you know, for something that's particularly a monetary thing, how do you? How, is there a process? You there know, is because a process in yeah. place. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to necessarily get creative, but you follow the process, and uh, sometimes you have to get creative, to creative. too. <laughs> sure. But, um, uh-huh. Usually. Um, The company puts a high emphasis on safety. And if you can justify regulatory wise, for example, why something is important, they they don't bat an eye. If it's regulatory driven, they will typically support that and move forward with whatever the recommendation is. Um, Mm -hmm. Wow, wonderful. Sounds like a sounds like a great place to have landed, Cheryl. And sounds like a challenging and fun career too. Yeah. And Not to necessarily go back on this topic, but I do definitely want to encourage more women going into this field. Yeah. There's only, um, in my work group, there's only two of us that are female. Oh, wow. And I definitely want to encourage listeners out there that this is an incredible field for women to go into. And just diversity adds so much to this profession Mm -hmm. and trying to encourage that, you know, go into the sciences, practice that diversity, go into this field. It's a wonderful, very, very rewarding field that you can make a a very good living on. Mm -hmm. And an impact. Yes. Yeah. And an impact. Yeah. You're you're, um, interesting to hear. Thank you for sharing that about how many women are in your, in your um, particular unit. You know, I think our, our, our practice has always been low on female involvement, but it's changing and it's growing. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think we're quite, we're not, we're not there yet, but it's getting better. Um, I, you know, I, I often use the anecdote about how you go to a safety conference and the line to the female's bathroom is always shorter than the men's because (laughs) there's there's so few of us. Um, but I, I had an opportunity and I don't remember if I shared this in a previous podcast or not, but I had an opportunity to keynote, um, this year's future safety leaders conference for the, uh, American society of safety professionals, um, in Chicago. That's incredible. Yeah, it really was. It was quite an honor to be, it was quite an honor to be asked. And, uh, the topic of my, of my keynote was, um, 10 things I wish I would have known, um, when I started out in safety. And I took about, maybe one to two minutes of that time to address the women in the audience specifically. And so this is students from all over the country and uh, in safety programs, undergrad and graduate safety programs. And um, 
So it's a big, it's a big ballroom in a, you know, in a hotel. And when I get to this part, when I want to speak to the women specifically, I asked all the women to stand and I was not on the podium because I don't, I'm not that kind of speaker. I was standing, you know, among the tables of all the people and like this whole forest of women stood up around me and it was crazy. Like I was taken aback because I couldn't believe there were that many women in the audience um, because it's so rare for us. Mm -hmm. And this, and this is the future. And I thought, wow, I like, they literally took my breath away (laughs) while I was in the midst of my keynote. And I'm like, holy cow, I didn't expect to see this many of you here, (laughs) you know? And, uh, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. So I, I see the tides are changing, um, for our, for our practice and, um, you know, it's a STEM related field Mm -hmm. and it's important that, that, uh, you know, we're half the, we're half the human existence. And so why not be represented? Right. And, uh, step into our, step into that practice. Yeah. So definitely encourage, you know, I look at diversity in any field is of incredible value, getting different cultural, having females involved as well as males. Um, It just, it so much adds to a company to have those varying viewpoints. So I'm excited to hear that. I think that's great news and I hope that trend continues. I hope so too. I hope so too. It was, it was really, it was really great experience. Um, you know, um, something else that I know you've pursued, and I'm wondering, maybe you can talk a little bit about what that journey was like, was you, you earned your CSP a while ago. I remember yeah. you stud. I remember you studying for the test. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if someone's thinking about, um, doing that process now, maybe talk about what that was like for you. How long did it take? Um, how did you figure out when and how to study, um, did, have sure. you found, have have you found value in it? I have found value in it from the standpoint that employers do like to um, it, it carries some weighting mm-hmm. on a resume and things like that. Um, the value that I got out of it was during the studying process. Um, I was definitely looking into items that um, I hadn't had exposure to. Mm. Um, for example, radiation is a good one that actually there's potentially calculations on radiation and shielding and having an understanding of that, that mm-hmm. um, I'm thinking, I'll never use this one. Will I ever need this? Mm-hmm. And um, wow, you know, years later, I'm radiation safety officer, which <laughs> <laughs> a few years ago. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. Um, so I think where it's a value is getting exposure to things that may not be in your comfort zone mm-hmm. and some strong mathematical background, um, as well as the safety management portion. And same thing when I was younger, I was frustrated because um, the ASP is real heavy on math and things like that. And then the CSP was more management concepts. Mm. And I kept thinking, wow, it's, you know, why is it so focused on this? Well, then a few years later, I'm the supervisor of safety for the U.S. And wow. (laughs) Yeah, you understood. I I understood some of that stuff and looked Uh at some of that stuff. So Mm -hmm. I definitely would say um, you may not look at it as a value now, but it everything you learn, eventually you will be utilizing. Yeah. So the, your, the pursuit of these, uh, the ASP and the CSP was um, like training for you, essentially. The, the studying. Yeah, that's excellent. I have not heard anyone frame it that way. That that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. That's cool. That's cool. So Cheryl, as we're starting to wrap up our time together today, I'm, um, I'm wondering, maybe we can end with... Um, 
you answering this question, like what keeps you at this all these years later? What's what what drives you to get out of bed and keep at this every day? What still drives me is that, again, I feel like I add value every day to what this company is doing. And if I can make a slight difference that saves one life or causes one person not to go through the pain and suffering that my father had to go through and the amount of stress that that put on my family, everything I do is worth it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful way to wrap it up. Couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And thank you all so much for joining in and listening today. And thank you for the work that you all do to make sure your workers make it home safe at the end of each day. You can listen to all of our episodes at vividlearningsystems.com or subscribe in the podcast player of your choosing. If you have a suggestion for a guest, including even if it's you, please contact me at social at vividlearningsystems.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>